Welcome to Diving Into Crypto. Diving Into Crypto. A weekly series where thought leaders share insights, strategies, and insider stories about all things crypto and Web3. Brought to you by Adlunum. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of Diving Into Crypto. This is JP from Adlunum INC bringing you everything about Web3. On the show today, we have a guest who's going to walk us through demystifying the complexity of AI and its UX. Now, I know that sounds like a mouthful, but in the precursor to this episode, we've had a fantastic conversation. And I kid you not, there's so much in store that our speaker will share about his journey. What is this show about? This show is brought to you by Adlunum, the all-in-one Web3 investment ecosystem empowering early-stage startups. From tokenomics to community growth, we see funding to IDEO launches to our unique Engage2Earn platform. We are transforming the way that investors experience the world of Web3 and the dynamic NFTs. All through our monthly programs, which we have like the podcasts, as well as a Web3 Pitch Arena, which, where we bring this bridge the gap between innovative startups and venture capital. Uh, that being said, ladies and gentlemen, a few announcements before we begin. In case we do get cut off, come back to Adlunum INC and you will have a link that will lead you back into the show, which we will start again uh, during this particular episode. If you have any questions, uh, remember that towards the end of the program, we'll open it up to a Q&A session with the audience if we have time. If not, you can always send in the questions that you have or if something strikes you as interesting, you can leave a comment uh, in, the, in the tweet. You could even ask that question to the speaker and we'll try to get it answered for you on the show, if not later. Views expressed on this program belong to that of the speaker and is meant for education purposes only, not to be construed as financial advice. Um, right. So that being said, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce very briefly our guest. Uh, I'm going to let him explain his journey, explain what, what got him here. But he's a visionary user experience specialist, which is something very rare. And we all spend so much time on our devices trying to, to navigate software, platforms, anything electronic. And he is a gentleman who has a multitude of experience, which he's going to share with us today. Uh, he does this with the future of, of Web3 projects that he's worked very closely with, including a stint with IOTA. And as you know, IOTA has worked with major brands like Jaguar and so on. He's been perfecting this craft and has led design innovation for major brands uh, you know, and pioneered products in the frontier tech. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's put our hands together and welcome to the stage, Andrew Bro. Andrew, the floor is yours. Welcome. J JP, thank you so much. What a, an awesome intro. Uh, yeah, I think we should just touch upon some really interesting areas today. I mean, a lot of us are coming from the crypto and blockchain aspect, and that's where my, my deep passion lies. Uh, I also think that we're seeing a lot of progress, rapid progress with AI. And one of the things that we can also touch upon is how those two are working against and with one another. Um, and I think that's going to be a, a key area where we move into the future. So I'd love to touch upon that. Um, about myself, basically, I've been working as a product solver for about 15 years or so. And that's meant working in agency for some great brands and then work my way up into more of a leadership and strategy side of things, but always taking that uh, user-centered perspective to things. And I started to see really data-heavy ways of uh, designing products, right? And, and inherently, they're not joys to use because they're difficult to navigate. Immediately, you're overfaced with stuff. And of course, this is what we saw in the early days of crypto, and it's improving quite a lot. Um, but my job really is to come here and try and make sense of these and then translate those wonderful, amazing technologies into something that are more usable and friendly uh, and meaningful for people. And that's my mission, really. So, um, yes, I've worked with some great brands in the past, uh, and now I'm consulting with companies. Um, I've worked with IOTA Foundation. I was with IOTA Foundation for about five years and built up a uh, UX and, and product thinking team within the IOTA Foundation. Uh, that was a wonderful experience and really uh, uh, a dream opportunity for me to kind of uh, flex my, my muscles, if you like, and, and thinking power and start to solve some really big problems. And uh, I'm still supporting various projects around the IoT ecosystem. I'm working with uh, 
various things as well alongside that. I'm working with a stealth wallet startup and I'm also working with an identity team. So um, it's really interesting to, to work in those different fields and every day is different really. So hopefully I can give a few insights into those worlds um, and we can have some great discussion around the possibilities of the technology where we think it's going and what we can do with it and, and just get everyone excited about where this is going but also thinking around how we can use this in the right way because I think if this is going to be a lasting technology that's meaningful for people we, we need to be very cognizant and aware of how we use it for good rather than you know in negative ways so um, again we'll dive into that a little bit more um, but that's a brief intro from me so uh, yeah hopefully that gives everyone a sense of where I'm coming from. Excellent. So, Andrew, I, the question actually I have is, you know, um, a lot of us begin begin this journey into uh, a dimension where we are able to find ourselves, find an expression through the work that we do and, and, and find an area of excellence. Right. Uh, but I'm always curious to find out. And so are our listeners. We're always curious to find out what was that, that turning point for you that, that you decided, hey, Web3 is the space to be for me? I mean, it's a great question because I think everyone's had their own journey with crypto and Web3. And for me, uh, my own personal journey was it, it really started. I mean, I was aware of Bitcoin and various things. I never quite got on that train um, until about 2017, where all of a sudden, you know, my awareness peaked. And I think a lot of people did as well. And I was suddenly very... Um, very aware of the possibilities. I was like, I've got to look into this a bit more. You know, I was working day to day, doing product design, thinking about solutions, but I wasn't really looking into crypto. You know, I thought of crypto as just uh, an alternative uh, means of financial transactions. So when I started digging into it through mm -hmm. curiosity, I started to realize that actually there's much more to this technology. You know, there are whole ways that we can solve all sorts of challenges and problems that we have, that we face. And I was like a kid in a candy shop. You know, I just, I was making big lists of all the projects that I liked. And I go back over these lists occasionally. I've got it on a piece of paper, right? Old school paper where I was writing it down. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and then I started investigating each one of these projects one by one. And I started to realize, well, you can get tokens for these projects. So you can have a piece of the future here. And you didn't have to be an accredited yeah. investor. Uh, you could just be a believer mm -hmm. in this technology and you could be someone that could participate. And there are communities around this that are discussing these ideas. And so all of a sudden there was an explosion of possibility around ideas and visions and teams trying to make this happen. That was super exciting. Right. And that ha it sort of happened, you know, in, in, in small pockets uh, before 2017. But really 2017 is where it really, really took off. And of course, these teams had molded their ideas a little bit more and they were projecting them. You know, they built the websites and kind of they'd had the white, they had the white papers and, you know, they were underway. So, um, mm -hmm. so that's when I, I first became aware of, of crypto and blockchain. Of course, Web3 as a whole hadn't developed at that point. Um, and that started to come right. out a little bit more with with the possibilities of uh, ownership over things, you know, whether it be uh, various assets, NFTs and, and things like that, that really Ethereum started that, that big ball rolling. And of course, then we started looking at possibilities around what Web3 meant and how it could tie into crypto blockchain and this whole ecosystem. It's still relatively new. And of course, it had a massive hype cycle. Um, but I, I think it's you know, all of the things surrounding it. It's just in its fledgling <coughs> fledgling years as such so uh, mm -hmm. we still got a lot to go uh, and i'm really excited about where that's mm -hmm. going to lead us so that was really my first uh, initiation into uh, web3 and, and crypto the very early days and i'm still just as excited i think you know, despite all of the ups and downs i still see a huge amount of possibility right. and loads of things to be solved and, and that's why i'm here in indeed you know and it is of course exciting times exciting times ahead um Despite all that's happening, the the highs, the lows, uh, for those of us that have been in through this journey for for a while now, we begin to understand that's just you know part of what the industry is all about. Right. Um, and you know it's interesting how this this journey goes, uh, weaves its way from from one point to another. Um, and and through this through this, I understand that you've also begun, um, you know, digital Zen, right? Uh, tell us a little about digital Zen. What, what what is its focus? What does it do? Um, you know, uh, a, a little about what it brings to the Web3 industry. Yeah, uh, I'd be delighted to. So really, Digital Zen is my consulting arm, and that's just a follow-on from the, the work I was doing with the ITA Foundation. 
Um, and the purpose is to take this advanced technology to consumers, uh, working with teams or uh, working with startups or corporates across the board. I work with all sorts of uh, individuals and larger groups and, and basically looking at how we can solve problems within their verticals. So that would be their particular industries and picking that apart to understand what is the problem space. So what is there that can be solved? Mm -hmm. And then uh, what is the solution space and being very collaborative around that? Because what tends to happen right. is I come in with a very uh, sort of technological and user-centered perspective. And then I work with these domain right. experts to then collaborate and understanding how we mm -hmm. can then mold something together because they won't necessarily have the understanding about the technology or necessarily always the users. They might understand their customers, but not necessarily how they might interact with their product. So I, I come in and then bring that domain expertise around the technology um, and the, the, the actual uh, usability and the user. And then what we do is we go through a, a process of then ideating around these uh, problem and solution spaces. And then we quite often then go on and pro mm -hmm. uh, produce a proof of concept to then build out something that demonstrates initial value. So we don't necessarily go all in on producing a, a huge startup. It's just to test the water and see what's possible. And this could be anywhere from industrial applications, um, you know, in terms of thinking around global trade. It could be something around uh, carbon reporting. It could be identity solutions. It could also be DeFi. Uh, it could be wallets. You know, it's anything. And it's, uh, it's a wonderful job to have because it means that as I said before, every day is different and you get to solve new challenges, but you use the mm -hmm. same principles and same processes and you bring their customer and their users to the center of what you're thinking. And it's not always a perfect place to work in because quite often you want to do things that you can't because the technology won't allow it yet. But every time you're sort of trying to solve those little challenges for for that end user and become their advocate and think around how they can make it more delightful and better because that just gives you better fit, you know, better engagement. Uh, and you know, in terms of the product market fit, you know, looking at how this solves real problems that are going to have value. So uh, that's what Digital Zen does. And we did some of that within the ITA Foundation. Um, the ITA Foundation is going more into a sort of research and protocol development mode now. So really, it's just sort of taking that, right. that skill and then building it out and then offering this mm -hmm. to the world and even looking at how Web2 companies can start to look at this technology and, and bringing them into this so that they can benefit and their customers can benefit and their customers can be, you know, those who don't necessarily want to interact with Web3 technology. So it's bridging that divide yeah. between Web2, Web3 and mainstream adoption. Actually, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, uh, adoption is is really what the, you know, what is one of the core, um, I, I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't call it a problem. It's it's more of a challenge, right? The transition from Web 2 to Web 3 and, and that becoming, you know, a, a more accepted standard uh, across uh, across the planet, the same way that you know the internet first made its penetration across uh, across the world, and, and it game changed how communicate how um, information and communications, um, you know, both these seg sectors were impacted. Now you're in a unique position, uh, being working with working with these teams of you know. So I, I have a few questions, and the first one I think that that, that comes up is how is this, you know, um, how will it take the mainstream adoption of Web3? You know, how much more education is needed with with companies to be able to then drive that down to their communities? Um, you know, is it is it going to need maybe a better user experience to make it to make the transition uh, easier? You know, or is it something that um, is there something that we should be thinking of to bridge that gap? Yeah, I mean, this is the eternal question that we all face delivering products in, in Web3. How do we get more users that weren't necessarily interested in this before? Um, my view is that we kind of have this a little bit back to front. And it's easy to say that. It's, it's more difficult to solve that. And what I mean by that is that you know, we're asking users who aren't interested to come into Web3 and, and the technology surrounding Web3 and then elevate themselves to the same place that we are in our understanding as quickly as possible. 
And it works to a certain extent, but it needs someone to have motivation and to be driven to do that. And quite often it's because they see a financial opportunity or they might be motivated because they say they see a great cause behind uh, something or, you know, they like the community aspect you know, in terms of DAOs. And so they'll put the effort in, but it does require effort. And so we're saying basically come to us. Mm-hmm come to us you know we've got something great here and actually the way that we get to the next epoch of adoption the next milestone is where we start to integrate things that are the great fundamentals of web3 but into everyone's daily habits and 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 then so they don't even realize necessarily that they're using web3 it's augmented into stuff that they're doing already and i'll give an example of what i mean by this right in terms of the retail space and the way that um, that works with the way that you go out and you interact with brands, there's so much opportunity for brands to leverage assets to then incentivize their, their customers. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean launching their own uh, token, which then you know uh, is out in the market and then you know, creates value in that sense. It's actually looking at simpler things like stable coins. And as regulations are coming in, particularly uh, where I'm based in the UK, we're going to see a lot more interest around this because mainstream right. users can understand stablecoin value. They can understand a digital version of something else or something that is pegged to something that they understand. So in, in uh, my case, it's sterling or, or um, the pound. And that doesn't require another level of uh, comprehension for them to then interact with these technologies. So what that means is that once you get them into this digital world, which is a stablecoin world, you can do all sorts of really interesting things with that, which then deepens their brand engagement. And so, um, yes, it's going to require them to have you know, a wallet. And it's probably going to be a custodial wallet. So you know, it might be that you don't have sovereignty over that, that, that finance entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does mean that you're able to get the benefits of pooling value, for example, um, you know, where you can actually act as a, a community behind uh, a token and, and pull that value to then get more uh, function out of it, you know, more value out of that. And, and that's really exciting. That's where I see things are going to develop really, really quickly. And that's where it's going to start to get over to mainstream. And all of a sudden, they're going to get an understanding of the fundamentals of things like DeFi, of, of, of ownership, assets. It's going to get really exciting. It's going to get really noisy, but it's going to get really exciting. So that's an area where you know, I'm very focused on how we can then um, flip it on its head and uh, you know, take right. this technology to the mainstream rather than the other way around. Well, you know, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because the more people that you speak to about Web three and when we when we share with them the the concept of ownership, we we share with them the you know literally an alternative financial system, uh, in 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 a sense. One of the things to get them um, onboarded is the fact that they have to go through setting up a wallet, right? Uh, and I, I know that it's it's um, it, it's a question that I've I've realized that a lot of people have been trying to uh, grapple with uh, how exactly that that's done. Do you, do you see, I'm, I'm, I know I'm being a bit cheeky here, but <laughs> do you see that user experience becoming easier in any way to, to facilitate global adoption if, if, if for nothing else? Yeah, I mean, what a great question, because I think this is something that I've mulled over many, many times trying to come to uh, an internal alignment with this, because there are ways that you can streamline wallet onboarding. And usually they take, shortcuts at the expense of security or Mm -hmm. sovereignty right so you know if you start to integrate um, single sign-on to a wallet experience you're bringing in elements of centralization but it speeds up that sign-on if you then start to produce wallets that actually you know take care of your keys for you then ultimately you're not having to educate the user around uh, taking care of of, of that ownership uh, and that level of secrecy that's required and that is the fundamental discussion that needs to take place. What level of compromise are we willing to accept to then onboard people that aren't interested in uh, self-sovereignty of value or mm-hmm. information? Will they ever accept that? And we, we don't know yet. We can't answer that. But are there benefits to be had even if perhaps we do onboard people to a wallet that perhaps does have slightly lower security or perhaps does take care of the keys for these users because all of a sudden they have more fluidity with their 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 finance and as long as you trust that company 
then they're still getting most of the mm-hmm. benefits. Now, I, I don't have a strong opinion as to where I feel that should be. I believe in decentralization, but I'm also a pragmatist mm-hmm. and I believe that we, we haven't reached that point and we haven't managed to solve a lot of the problems that come with decentralization. Mm-hmm. We've kind of smoothed over those rough bits, but we haven't removed all of the bumps. So we're working on it. I'm working on it right. every day um, mm-hmm. and you know, it is a challenge. And I haven't gone straight for any shortcuts yet. And I see some teams going for the shortcuts. And for most end users, they're like, hey, great. This is better than my last previous experience, my last best experience, because, you know, I can just use a single sign-on. But actually, it's not as secure. So who's winning there? Well, the end user is. So you have to be real about that. And you have to find ways to kind of tread a middle ground. And I think that's still something we need to work out and we're, we're plowing through. So... Uh, maybe I haven't taken a strong line on that, but I, I think that there are different ways you can solve it and for different use cases and for different end users uh, and, and we'll apply the rest, best approach to kind of get there really because the, 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 the goal is essentially to get people into better systems that are fairer systems right. uh, and, and that's where we need to mm-hmm. get to above all else. Fair enough. No, I, you know, you're, I, you're right in so many ways, Andrew. When it comes to when it comes to this aspect of, of adoption, the the shortcut method is, of course, something that I mean, in in some way, it, it also is the the basis of a of a user experience, right? That is the easier that I can change that behavior, the you know, um, the more uh, adoption or the easier somebody gets onboarded onto whatever it is that I can offer them. Um, and yet, at the same time, the long-term repercussion of those actions, or what could be the potential outcome vis-a-vis risk, uh, you know, vis-a-vis what is sustainable over a long term, gets avoided. So, yeah, so that does it is an interesting point. It is an interesting solution to solve. Um, but yeah, a, a, maybe a question that we we dive into at a at a different time. Um, uh, so, as as you've said, you you work with a lot of a lot of teams. And right now, I know that a, a large segment of the focus for you is with with AI, you know, and coupling that with UX. Uh, tell us a little first about your um, your. I wouldn't say impression, but let me see. I'm I'm, I'm grappling to find the word here. Your uh, experience with with AI, for example, you know, what when did it start? Why does it become an area of interest? And then let's let's dive a little deeper into you know what we can draw out of that that experience because. Everybody knows is associating AI today with, with for example, ChatGPT, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, with the exception of the developer community that knows what it actually is. Uh, but for for regular users, that's that's the association. So the first thing about AI being so fascinating, how how does that you know how does that start? How did that start for you, rather? Right, and again, you know, AI is one of those things that's relatively new. So again, it comes along, and uh, you're looking at it and assessing it, and you're going, okay, uh, it's been talked about in academia for many years, and of course, this it's now come to fruition and, and reality in terms of what is possible uh, with uh, large. Uh, language models in terms of chat GPT and uh, those types of things. So for me, the really interesting thing is, and my uh, aha moment was, of course, using chat GPT, um, GPT three, mm-hmm. and then realizing, OK, right. this is this is real now. This actually has a lot of value augmenting my daily habits and what I'm doing. Now, the immediate question I had was. Whoa, OK how are we going to realize what is genuine human behavior and what is not either through content creation or ideation or uh, this abundance of media that comes out of AI. And this is the fundamental thing that problem solvers and uh, product thinkers like myself are now starting to then take into account, you know, and start working with the, the brilliant minds that have been behind the uh, current crop of AI, um, or those who have spent many years in academia, is then you know, ultimately this is a, a force for good and not so good because our worlds will become less and less clear yeah. in terms of what is human and what is not. And this idea of having mm-hmm. a proof of humanity will be provided by blockchain uh, and, and ZK proofs uh, and SSIDs. So that's uh, identities. Now, there's a, a big topic to unpack here, uh, but where we need to be in the next five years is essentially to stop this runaway train, which is AI and the generation of 
uh, noise that comes from AI, whether good or bad, mm -hmm. uh, and the manipulation of AI for an agenda, which you know, I don't want to put on a tinfoil hat and, and conspiracy theories, but it's yeah. easier to then you know, create outcomes for what you want with AI when you basically, you know, you've offloaded a lot of the work. And we've seen this play out in the past in 2016 with things like Cambridge Analytica, where basically you know, the use of data yeah. has then uh, created tangible outcomes uh, in society. So mm -hmm. where we are now is that AI then is accelerating that even further. And in terms of what is you know, deep fakes and genuine uh, media and so on, you know, this is the type of content that's going to be easier and easier and easier to create even by you and I, if we just want to do a meme or you know, if we actually have a more serious intention uh, that might not be for the benefit of all. And where blockchain cool. comes in and where we need to solve this is ultimately how do we then give you and I or regular Joes or the average user a sense of reality of what is mm -hmm. real, what is truth and what is not so that the digital worlds are not distorted. And this is the big thing that we need to solve. This is kind of what WorldCoin is, is aiming to do. Um, I'm not mm -hmm. necessarily uh, a, a big fan of everything that they've done, but it, they're trying to solve that problem. Of course, uh, they're tied to Sam Altman and they're, they're, they're linked together. So he's obviously seen this problem him, himself and then trying to provide mm -hmm. a solution for it and this is this idea of proof of humanity so if you're seeing content or if you're seeing interactions online you can get a sense of whether that's a real person or a bot um, whether that content mm -hmm. or you know the, the community around that is also real or not and uh, this proof of humanity um, what it needs to really provide is a sense that, okay, I can see someone's got an opinion and that's a real person's opinion. Or I can see that there's some content here that's a real person's content. And this is, mm -hmm. this is something we have to work out in order for us in five, 10 years time to feel stable in our digital worlds. Um, if we don't solve it, then of course, it's going, to be, um, it's going to be very, very difficult for us to feel comfortable with a lot of the things that we're interacting with. And how do we make that easy? Well, that's where we come in in terms of the product solutions. You know, in terms of being able to s simply provide a verified tick or perhaps start thinking mm -hmm. about reputation for media or for companies, you know, not necessarily individuals, that starts to get a bit scary, but where you have to deal with public right. figures or where you have to deal with those who have a position of responsibility, actually then starting to have reputations tied to their actions, which is where you can start to bring in uh, self-sovereign identity. And identity is another big topic. And it's going to make lots mm -hmm. of our lives very easy. And some people don't necessarily like this digitizing of identity. But what is required is this proof right. of humanity that effectively comes from this fundamental. So we need to tread this ground and, and kind of get to a point where everyone's happy with their digital lives and their digital worlds, worlds where uh, they're satisfied that the digital identity is actually helping overall. And that's my job really to, to, to figure that out with some other clever people and other people working in different areas of the space. And you know, lots of people are working on it at the moment. But um, what I would say is you know, having discussions mm -hmm. and conversations around identity where it's not necessarily all bad and actually it can provide some sense of humanity behind uh, our interactions and, and what we're doing online. I think we need to be honest and, and look at the way that AI is going to rapidly change things for us and then find solutions for that as quickly mm -hmm. as possible so that people can feel settled and comfortable with how they're engaging with, with, uh, with the internet. Well, yeah, Andrew, I think, you know, there, there is something to, to dive deeper into here. Um, for, for a lot of us, there's an ease of using tools or online platforms that have, you know, an, an AI system that is that is built in, right? So we're talking chat GPT-4, which had huge popularity, um, you know, and, and then sometimes we, we tend to forget what, what leads up to to these particular points when we're talking about um, chat GPT-4, we've uh, the before which you had Sarah, before which you had the, you know, uh, robot dog in a way. Um, uh, and then, of course, the Matrix, and you want to go far back as the Terminator. And <laughs> in Skynet, that's, you know, that's fine as well, right? Um, so right. On, on a particular, so on a particular level, uh, I, think, I think that, um, you know, a, a lot of us tend to, tend to uh, see what is new 
uh, forgetting what what may be old, but I be- truly believe that you know, in terms of interacting with AI, it becomes easier in in so many ways if, for adoption if there is this base utility like you have in ChatGPT four. For example, it's you know I'm I'm not advocating it. Uh, it's just that it's it's a good example, right? Um, and then when you talk about identity with with the examples that you've you, you've given, which can go from a you know. Uh, from small scale to large election influencing, uh, false media making, um, you know, uh, power of at, at, at some point where where do we I wouldn't say I'm not even going to say draw the line because that that's a different that's a different outlook. But how does one um, you know, how are we moving as an industry towards finding out those those differences? Because you're in a unique position to answer that, having worked with so many teams that you have. Uh, especially where the mix between AI and UX is is extremely important, right? It's it's at the forefront of what you're seeing, and you've worked with multiple teams here. So, where is the industry going with this? Um, you know, in in your opinion, in terms of blockchain and and AI, well, I, I, let me answer that one because I think we're very early days, and if you listen to some thought leaders in the space, they're really just figuring this out as well. There are lots of theories about how we can do it, but not many solutions. So we need to keep talking about this and discussing it. We also need to start doing, um, but for those solutions to come about, there are many layers uh, that need to be solved. And so what I think will come first is really the separation uh, and strength of AI and also web three, but they won't, really converge for some time because it needs quite a lot of infrastructure for that to happen. And I I think it can happen and it can happen relatively quickly, but we're not there yet. Like for example, um, self-sovereign identity and uh, ZK proofs, these types of things are really just very, very early days and haven't been rolled out in any significant way. And the question is who's gonna roll these out and how they're going to be interoperable and how they're going to work on the internet. And how they're going to be uh, meaningful and usable to, to people, yeah. and and it needs to win hearts and minds as well. Uh, and, I, and I think people have concerns around this uh, in terms of identity and and how this is going to be used, rightly or wrongly. Um, but those individuals need to see the value in it, and that value may not come until there's a crisis, uh, where people actually start to look up and, and and take notice of the way that things have changed. So there needs to be a bit of a process that happens there. And all that time we're developing the technology and we're looking at how this can be used. And of course, there's the, the, the social um, aspect to it that we're looking at. So I think this just, yeah, it needs to play out. Uh, where can identity come in? Well, this is something that IOTA does quite well. Uh, we were doing various things in the past. I'm working with a team at the moment. Um, and there, there's definitely going to be uh, some news on that front in terms of what's happening there. Um, in terms of how we can mm-hmm. use a, uh, sorry, SSID and identity as a counterweight to AI, so in other words, to, to create mm-hmm. this source of truth, well, we need to start onboarding on a mass level. You know, um, That will happen over time. I suspect that uh, it will happen in a commercial sense, but you know, where's the commercial value to prov- providing trust? Well, most um, commercial uh, mm-hmm. decisions are driven in a centralized manner. So again, it doesn't necessarily, decentralized identity where it's ownership of, we have ownership over identity and our credentials, that isn't necessarily on some corporate's um, top agenda. So it needs to be something that we want as a society, as well as something that provides value for corporations. And with AI, I mean, that's just going to go, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a steam train at the moment. There are lots and lots of um, uh, different aspects to it, whether it be uh, data, whether it be data models, whether it be integration into our everyday products. I mean, we've probably used it in various things already outside of ChatGPT where it can just mm-hmm. augment our daily lives, right? So you know, if you've used Notion or if you've right. used um, uh, documents uh, or um, mm-hmm. word processing documents, those types of things quite often will get uh, <laughs> maybe a, a modern version of Clippy popping up, but you know, we'll get something where yeah. it will suggest things for us and make it easier to then craft our uh, our, our language, you know, these types of things where it's very useful. It's a very different you know, and, and somewhat um, uh, innocent side to it where I don't see many issues, but really you know, this this data aspect where the data is then used 
Uh, I think this is where the truth needs to come in. And of course, the identity will tie into that and it will be driven by a need. So how long that will take? I think it will play out over the next five years and then we'll see solid solutions over, you know, uh, the, the preceding years after that. You know, it's it's interesting when you um, when you mentioned it in exactly in exactly that form, and I think that we often forget that you know AI has uh, a huge significance um, through its background tech. Uh, in in many ways, it you know it was always spared, and now it's sort of decoupled in a way. It's it, it really is machine learning, uh, and 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 it's that it's that particular aspect that may make it easier for adoption when when we talk about it. Uh, when we talk about machine learning as opposed to an, an artificial intelligence altogether, uh, intelligence, you know, being almost akin to an, an artificial consciousness, right? Right. Um, and yeah, so uh, so so it's 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 interesting what what's coming out of this this conversation. But I I and it it makes me want to question uh, a few things more. Uh, so one of one of the thoughts or one of the trains of thought that uh, that pop up is um, in terms of uh, industry innovation say about five years from now uh, where do you see AI um, being more integrated into things that we do um, you know and again you know the the utility of, of SSID but but first uh, just to for, for the mass users out there, AI being integrated into uh, a lot more things that we uh, that we are using on a day-to-day -day basis. What do you think? Mm. Well, I think any anywhere where we can automate our lives, I think it will become much more integrated. So, really, rather than thinking of it as AI, we think about automation. You know, what is there that we can automate that? Mm requires less of our thinking and our energy so that we can focus on other things that we want to do and of course the world is ripe for us to do that and we've been automating our lives you know for hundreds thousands of years tens of thousands of years even so it will continue and it will continue at an even faster pace and really uh the, the possibilities are, are endless there i mean you look around the world at you you think about the manual processes that you do each day you know whether it's a digital world or, or whatever and what 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 is there that can be uh, automated and managed for you? Um, eventually, I think that ultimately you will have uh, AI that really grows with you and you know, ultimately understands you. But then again, you, you then have to have that secured by blockchain. So I think that's quite a significant uh, future for us where let's say, for example, you have almost like an AI from birth where you know, it's a bit science fiction, but it grows with you and it learns with you. And, and that's the, the model that it's trained on. And that brings in things mm -hmm. where it ultimately understands you completely. But then you have to secure that information and that data somehow, because imagine if that got into the wrong hands and it would be quite disastrous. And the only real thing that, that can secure that is going to be blockchain and crypto. Uh, and that's kind of where I see it getting to eventually. Um, obviously, people have choice as to whether they want to let that into their lives and to what degree. But yeah, it's going to know you inherently and it will be on a very personal level where it can uh, support you and help you with, with everything that you do because it knows almost what you're thinking before you do or what your habits are before you do. Uh, and I'll leave that up to the very smart academics working in that field. But my job will be to obviously understand you know, how we'll, do we interface with this. You know, how do we interface with this? How do we use it? How, do, how is it meaningful and useful for us? Where do we put the limits on this in terms of um, how, how people would be using it in that sense? So that would be the big thinking of behind AI, I would say. Uh, I don't know how long it would take to play out, mm -hmm. but I, I don't think it's that far away. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's going to accelerate quite rapidly, and we're going to see huge changes over the next 10 to 20 years, for sure. It wouldn't surprise me if it you know, starts coming in in the next 10, 10 or so years. Um, that's going to require some degree of acceptance, but I think we're coming around to accepting that quite quickly. Uh, in terms of the products that we use, well, I'm seeing lots and lots of software yeah, products these, which are starting to integrate it. Are game changers yeah. in in so many ways, right? Um, yeah. Okay. So pivoting pivoting a little from from this particular part, um, you know, we we spoke about we spoke about this from from an AI point of view, from a UX point of view, a blockchain point of view. Um, I want to come back to the to the identity part of uh, you know how this is going to play out. Where do you where do you see uh, you know uh, the SSID and your digital identity being being getting more mass adoption uh, over the next five years? 
Yeah. So I think if we look at Web3, then we have to look at elements where, that require uh, a, a sense of a user or an individual or humanity behind it. So let's say, for example, governance, mm -hmm. right? Now, mm -hmm. uh, the way that governance works generally at the moment is that, you know, it's not necessarily one user, one vote. It just depends on how much value you hold within that network. And right. so that isn't really, I mean, it works in, in, in a sense, and I think that's fine for anyone who holds a lot of value, but it doesn't necessarily represent mm -hmm. those who hold uh, an actual personal stake in it when it comes to the energy they put into a project. You could be someone that, you know, oh. you don't necessarily have a lot of value behind you, but you've helped that, that project from the ground up. You know, you weren't necessarily one of the founding team, but you spent your evenings and weekends trying to get that project uh, off the ground and devoting your time to it. But then when it comes to voting on governance, you don't necessarily have as big a vote as someone who's a whale that's just decided that they like the project or that they see um, a financial gain in it, right? So we need to improve that. And I think that's somewhere where um, identity can definitely come in and help that. Uh, yeah, any areas around governance mm -hmm. and voting, I think, are going to be really, really important. Um, and that can also be true for real life, right? So you imagine that in your your local area, you know, uh, when you go to the ballot box, right. that actually, again, you'll be secure in how you vote because it will be a, mm -hmm. a, a digital hash um, of your identity that is is essentially representing that vote. So I think that is going to provide more security. I mean, if you go and vote these days, in a lot of countries, it's still quite archaic the way that it works. It's literally a piece mm -hmm. of paper that you put in right. and they count it and you hope that it's not been you know, tampered with in some way. So there's definitely a lot of improvement to be had there generally. So I think that's where it's going to come into real life. But then again, um, where we can start to make lives easier with identity, where you can you know, keep your information close to you and uh, you can choose who you give that information out to and then uh, how long you give that information out to and even see where that information is going to so that you have a trace of that. And I think mm -hmm. in today's world, a lot of this data just gets completely lost. Uh, and you don't really know, mm -hmm. even if you hand that information over to uh, a central, um, a centralized entity or a corporation, you, know, you could be, you could have ticked a box somewhere that, um, that, that accepted their terms and conditions that meant that data went off somewhere else and was used in a certain way. You know, you become the product as such. Or you might have forgotten to tick a box and, and that happens. Well, really, that control needs to improve. That visibility needs to improve. And that's essentially where identity is going to help most people to, to take control of their digital lives and what they're handing out. And as part of that, the, the great thing is, is that then you can start to monetize data for yourself right? Other people are monetizing your data right now. Well, what if you can then have the choice to then monetize yourself to get value out of that? You, you're like, okay, I want to participate in this. We're going to offer you certain tokens yeah. that have real value, not just kind of thin air tokens. Mm -hmm. And you choose to do that. And, and that's creating a, you know, a source of revenue for you. That I think is a better way of doing that. And you can choose to opt out. You know, if you don't want to share any data, uh, because you feel that you, that's your, your right and your privacy, you can do that. And that level of control is where we need to get to in a, in a self-sovereignty uh, sense. And that's where we're aiming for. What we don't want to aim for is this kind of social credit system, uh, social scoring system, where ultimately you're tracked and everything happens and uh, you know, you're being watched and every interaction, you know, so on, is, is, is being uh, overlooked by a government entity. And then, of course, points are, and reputation are uh, allocated to that. We don't want that. And that's, that's something we need to avoid and we need to, be, uh, we need to have our eyes open to. But like I said before, mm -hmm when it comes to controlling your data and being able to decide what happens with that data, that's where we need to work to. And we can't avoid that forever because right. that's our digital world that we live in. Indeed. And it is something that's, that's happening in its current form, right? So the more educated we get about it, the, the more, um, the more we realize that we should be controlling that. And at the same time, so I, I, I guess, Andrew, what do you, what do you think about then, you know, I mean, what what is it going to take for the regular Joe, right, to to understand that that data is is something that they should have more control over, that they should you know be empowered to um, to use as they see fit, as opposed to it being utilized by some cooperation that you know because we forgot to 
um, check a box, for example, or uncheck one. Yeah, totally. And I think it's a huge hurdle. The way that we solve it is by making ways of interacting with our digital world as easy, if not easier, plus also providing mm-hmm. the value proposition of better control of your data. So the way that I would see this is, let's say, for example, like a single sign-on, you know, you've got Google, you've got uh, all sorts of single sign-on offerings out there. Um, LinkedIn even do one, Twitter, you know, you get the idea. Well, where we can actually start to improve that is offering an alternative single sign-on where you can go and use your um, SSID, self-sovereign identity, Mm -hmm. and then it's as easy as basically uh, a single sign-on but the added bonus is Mm -hmm. that you store your credentials you hold your credentials there and you can see the benefit but have the ease of use and then slowly but Mm -hmm. surely you start to then apply this in other places but that ease of use and equaling your best uh, experience previous best experience Mm -hmm. out there is really required because I think a lot of people don't have really enough time to just believe in certain aspects of okay i want to control my data they just want to get things done in their day-to-day lives so you have to focus on the ease of use first of all and then just provide the value add of okay you have more control over your data you can do these things with your data and even see like where your data's gone and have better visibility over that and now all of a sudden it's like okay right yeah i can see top down i I shared it with this Mm -hmm. uh this connection here and i logged in here and i did this here and then you have this visible view of what has happened in your digital world, then all of a sudden it starts to make sense. You don't get any of that right now. So that's the sort of usability we Mm -hmm. need to be thinking about and delivering. Okay. Uh, It it poses an interesting uh, idea, Uh, not necessarily a solution, but one one that comes to mind is, you know, take a box if you want, uh, if you want to utilize your data for X amount for $50, for example, you know, every time that you sign in or you share your data with somebody, you could earn up to $50 on that or, or 50 pounds on that um, just by keeping control of your data and then sharing it with a company of your choice. I don't know. Totally. No, it's, it's a great idea. I mean, I, I'd say, you know, let's, uh, let's talk about building something. But um, what I would say is that shouldn't be... Uh, it should be an opt-in and not an opt-out. And I think that it's one Mm -hmm. of those things that should be a value add. So if you want to just completely retain all privacy and you you don't want to see any of this kind of stuff, then you sh- it shouldn't right. be sort of rammed down your throat. If it's something that, you know what, I, I really value this ability to earn uh, from just simply you know, giving my data away. And this is a mm-hmm. great revenue stream for me. You know what, I've got, um, I've got two jobs and I'm working, I don't know, 14 hours a day and I've got yeah. kids to feed. And, and finding these sort of small revenue streams, I think, could be really valuable where they're not available right now. And bringing in mm-hmm. more value into people's lives that can actually just take a little bit of the burden off like this, I think of does course. provide value if people want to opt into it. And that's something where Web3, mm-hmm. I think, has a part to play in uh, where you know, blockchain and crypto and uh, digital assets will will come to fruition and that's where we're heading and i i I think that if we craft it in the right way it can be a really wonderful thing for people particularly where you know their value is being um reduced in the world uh through Mm -hmm. various inflation and other things that are happening to people i think that we need to provide the 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 counterbalance to that effectively no in indeed you're right you know i mean we, we we speak a lot about um, of course, being able to to empower people, we speak a lot about uh, education. That's that's the purpose that we do these podcasts is to to hopefully educate more people about Web three, what they can do, uh, you know, what it is that they could, um, what we can imagine as a future, and what that journey can be like while you have an active part in it. And this certainly plays an important part where you're you understand that you can control your information, uh, share it with with companies of your choice, share it with advertisers instead of them having to be having to to, to pay another corporation to get your data. Right. And that that is something that happens in uh, that happens that that is a way that that advertisers would would target your information, that corporations, you know, target your information. Um, and, you know, you don't ha- you don't have any say in it, nor nor do you have uh, anything to gain from it. So why shouldn't you, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. 
Um, okay, so coming back on the to the to the topic of of empowering uh, people, the you know uh, the promise of Web three, of course, is to also give power to to people. But let's also put a spotlight on some of the other uh, stakeholders here, right? So so people who are um, uh, creators or larger communities, right? Um, you know, to to empower them as opposed to centralized entities or centralized platforms, right? Um, I, I know that you, you do some work in this space, but how does your work help empower, uh, you know, Web3 communities? Yeah, I think this is fundamental to what we're doing and why we're here, right? We're in a community even in this space. And I think that's, that demonstrates where things are going, where we have more open platforms and we have more collaboration and we have more ability to to connect with one another globally. You know, imagine 40 years ago, we didn't have that. And I think that's a wonderful yeah. thing because we feel more connected to people across the planet, right? Very positive. I also think that that can translate into productivity. And this is what we're seeing with Web3, where communities essentially get together. At the moment, it's Discord, it used to be Slack and various other things, right? And they start to think yeah. around how they can solve things together. Now, the great thing about that is that if you have an idea for a product of some sort, you get immediate traction. Web 2, you kind of mm -hmm. you have an idea and you squirrel away and it's in stealth and you maybe get some funding and then you release something and no one uses it and you hope that you can get people on board and you, they stay there. What you're doing with Web 3, which is really fantastic around communities uh, and, and you'll know through AdLumens, is that you're bringing people in to help to test and validate and uh, discuss the ideas with, uh, and that creates better traction, um, better involvement and better advocacy. It's just better all around. And there is a lot of noise and a lot of discussion, but I think if that can then be organized and managed in the right way, um, it can be governed uh, and that you have clear processes for, that's where we, we, we're heading to. And I think this rise of community through digital mm -hmm. means is just gonna get stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's only happening through Web3. Now, of course, there's value often used in that, right? People are incentivized through value, but I don't think it's necessarily always going to be the, the, the primary thing where people are just searching for, for, for the next, uh, I don't know, pump and dump type thing. I think, yeah. um, and again, this probably harks back to the work that you're doing, that there is value created behind engagement through, uh, through degrees of loyalty and commitment to something, through being aligned to a vision. And that's one of the great things where people, regardless of whether tokens are going up and down, Quite often they stick around because they're aligned to a vision. If that vision is strong enough, people will, you know, <laughs> hopefully stay and, and help that idea and that project yeah. get to where it needs to. And and for me, that's that's really the difference I, I see in terms of what I do, you know, getting involved in those communities and talking to people and how they're using the products and even bring them on as early testers like in UX. Uh, the model which seems really outdated now is to get like five people together and six people to test your product and uh, that seems so outdated when you've got a community of like a thousand testers or you know even 50 that are giving you feedback it's it but it's still the way that web 2 works in terms of ux testing but it's really really outdated so you know those those individuals become your team and that's how it should be and that's that's really why web 3 is here to stay and it will just continue to build yeah, well, um, so it, it's interesting that you you say that because there, there is a lot of power in in this in the formation of communities, but at the same time, you know, getting this getting these communities together with a unified goal, um, I, I'm certain that's been you know uh, there's there's been a lot of learning in that. And so, could you tell us what has been one of your um, maybe one of your biggest learnings that has come from bringing a community together? I think that would be uh, considering that you know that you've worked with multiple projects, you've worked with multiple communities to get them on onboarded. Um, you know, what has been one of the the key learnings for you that that brings that community together? Yeah. Again, I think it, it's a vision that everyone has and a desire to, to reach a point, you know, that's either communicated generally or everyone has their own idea of what that vision is. And, you know, maybe they go off in different directions because they don't agree, it, but it's always a vision. Uh, and that's what that's the glue, I think, that holds people together generally for a, a quality community and a community will keep a project honest. Right. Because they'll be asking mm -hmm. questions and, and holding a project to account. And I think that's really important. Now, back when everyone was starting to form communities around projects, uh, particularly in blockchain, it was quite chaotic and there wasn't any organization, there wasn't any 
real governance. Uh, there are a few projects doing governance out there, but it wasn't really inherent in in organizing people and, and kind of around these ideas and these visions. Now we have much better tools. And of course, we're seeing the benefits of those. You, you've got tools where you can actually project manage around communities. And my goal really is to start building up um, a, a community around product development over time you know, where you can actually collaborate and basically build the best agency in the world through people just wanting to devote their time uh, to uh, any project that comes along. And essentially, mm-hmm. I think you, we now have the tools to coordinate that. We now have things like D-Work, we have uh, Coordinate and, and various other things that I may not have mentioned, but lots of different tools out there that can help to incentivize, um, to project manage various aspects of a project that can then allow for um, you know, potential bidding on how you would then solve that. So imagine you have a guild or a small team of developers that form in their spare time out of work that want to earn some money on the side, well, then they can actually say, hey, we can do this part of the project. This is what we'll mm-hmm. offer. This is our sort of micro organization and we'll deliver this for you at this certain time. You know, that doesn't need anything other than just um, a, a software platform and a financial transaction or reward, which can happen through Web3. Now, imagine if you then yeah. scale that to more and more individuals, you get software developers, you get the UX designers, you get the project managers, you know, they're all working together. You can then, uh, I believe that is a scalable solution. Uh, now, as long as you manage the politics uh, of, of that well, and it's a yeah. fair system, then I think that can mm-hmm. then start to change the game in terms of the way that you develop products globally. And people that are brilliant at what they do can participate in this. They don't have to go all in. They can just offer their time and their, their uh, capabilities you know, when mm-hmm. it suits them, right? So yeah. this is where I think this, uh, this is where the product aspects of what I'm doing will, will play out and where it can provide a lot of value and where it really ties all this together. So this is where DAOs are going, essentially, and, and what DAOs are providing. But I think there's a lot more room to build on that. And I see a lot of evolution in that area as well. So I'm really excited about that. Thank you for sharing that, um, Andrew, because, you know, it, when it comes to when it comes to communities, that is that is, of course, one of the one of the key challenges that most Web3 projects or, or basically any um any project faces, any company faces, just being able to keep them, uh, to keep a, a group engaged. But this aspect of having the micro communities that are more active, also delivering more value is um, is, is something that, that we should all take away from, is that you, you focus on those that are able to to deliver something and you know not so much only the, um, I'm putting this <laughs> in, in the worst possible way, but, but it's a, it, you know, there's a, a bit of a truth to it. You know, focus on those that are actually giving you value, less on the spectators uh, who are there for a, just wondering what what's happening. So yeah, an engaged community it trumps uh, a, a large one uh, of spectators any any given Sunday. Um, Definitely. So uh, <laughs> so uh, Andrew, we we have come to the the end of the show. I know that there there are tons of questions that have come in from um, from the audience. Uh, most of them have written in. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pick just one uh, at the moment before, um, and you know, there's there's comments as well that say that fine they've you know you've addressed a lot of their their answers and you know the areas of concern about AI, uh, so that's that's extremely positive. But I'm, if I'm going to just pick one that's that's come in, um, yeah, what is the mechanism? This is from Robin Kitts, and uh, the person asks, what is the mechanism to helping upcoming uh, Web3 space projects to gain ground faster? Um, you know, is it mem- mentorship and coaching that helps fast-track fast that process? The, I'll repeat that. It's a mechanism that's helping upcoming projects in the Web3 space to gain ground faster. Uh, you know, is it mentorship and coaching? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. Thanks, Robin. And yeah, let's go for it. Let's, let's do this one. So, I see it as, as collaboration. I see this as, um, again, individuals that can form an organization to then offer their skills and uh, connect, right? So what doesn't have, there's a divide at the moment that I see between working professionals that can offer these skills and then getting mm-hmm. involved and connecting with teams that need this help. Mm-hmm. And then offering this service in a way that 
can be really good value that can be high quality information that can you know coach mentor or whatever it might be but then perhaps manage to find a way to take a part of that success of that team through incentivization mm -hmm. and you can do token agreements you can do these kind of things but to find an easy way to manage that where Oh, this might play out really well and everyone benefits or you know what it might not amount to anything but just mm. connect those dots and make it easier because there's a, a, a wealth of capability and talent out there that mm. at the weekends could spend a couple of hours just connecting with people that need it like for example you might have mm. a developer team that has limited project management or ux skills but could be incredible builders but they're just wondering mm -hmm. well we can't afford to pay a ux or we can't afford to pay a project manager and we can't get a, a lawyer to do a, um, a saft or a token agreement to basically then lock in value for something we may or may not launch but mm -hmm. if you can then make it relatively easy for those professionals to offer a bit of their time to come in to coach to to help and support to provide that mm -hmm. link and then make it easy to tie in agreements which are relatively binding but at the same time you know they're not going to persecute or take someone to to court if it doesn't play out well i think that's the ground mm -hmm. we need to find a way to to to, to create um, an area for everyone to come together and for me it, it needs to be serious enough to offer real value to people that need this help um, but it needs mm -hmm. to be flexible enough to know that life isn't perfect and all these projects don't necessarily come to fruition and if we can solve that then i think that we will that will be the mechanism that will will really project us forward i do believe it will happen um, it will need you know uh, whether it be a dao whether it be a platform whether it be something else um, but someone to connect these individuals and 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 make it worth everyone's uh, worth everyone's time Indeed. Okay. So, uh, I, I, Robin, I hope that answers your question. Uh, it, you know, it, it has for me. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Andrew. My last question to you, uh, one that I, one that we we ask all our guests is, you know, you you shared with us so much in terms of uh, the your journey into Web three, uh, the projects that you've worked on, the orientation that you have when it comes to to UX. Uh, we we've covered a wide arc of what blockchain will bring to the table, empowering communities, empowering people with their own identities and what they can do with that. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the, the knowledge is, is, is great. And thank you for sharing those gems. We also want to know, uh, you know, the, 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 the code behind the person, right? So uh, my question to you, Andrew, is what is your personal philosophy and what is it that keeps you going every day? Uh, okay, great question. Um, so I think you probably got a sense. I think it's really sort of delivering this technology into into the hands of people that can benefit and, and creating uh, more connections rather than more uh, diversion, right? And I, I and this is where I think I believe that this will will take us, and that's why I'm investing my time in it. Um, mm -hmm. Building bridges in terms of products that provide those connections and can uh, can help that process, and mm -hmm. Ultimately, I think seeing fairer value distribution in the world through technologies, Bitcoin, or through um, uh, earning value through attention, or you know, do it, spending your time doing something whereby uh, you, you don't have to do it, right? You could just ignore it. But if you do do it, then brands have to give a share of the value that they're creating in your engagement. And I think that's where this can play out in, in a positive way. And so what gets me up in the morning is being part of that movement that we're in right now to get to that point where ultimately we go, hey, we live a chaotic, busy life, but you know what? Um, I like the way this works. And, mm -hmm. and the reason why I like this is because someone's thought about it and it's been meaningful to kind of deepen uh, their, their digital world. And, and that's where I want to get to. You know, and making decisions around that every day. Uh, you know, I'm just one person, right? There are thousands and thousands of people making important decisions every day. But for me, making decisions where I actually think, is this going to be a better outcome as a result? And, and that that is what drives me to get involved in these things. And not every day, you know, is is so wonderful as that. Sometimes you have very challenging days. Uh, sometimes you have more boring days. But you know, ultimately, that's the thing that makes me want to uh, devote my time and my working career towards Web3 and AI and uh, these other wonderful technologies. 
Thank you, Andrew. It's it's true. Many drops make an ocean, and you know, hats off to you on this journey of changing the world one brand at a time. Uh, yeah, uh, I I believe that's that's where you're going with that, and you know, so once again, hats off to you, um, ladies and gentlemen. We've reached the end of our show. Uh, we've had a fantastic, fantastic conversation with Andrew Bros. Uh, he's you know shared with us a, a, a his journey, a lot of strategies, a lot of ways that we can empower ourselves. So once again, thank you so much, Andrew, for being on the show today. Thank you, JP. Really enjoyed it. Thanks to everyone who's been here. Uh, feel free to connect with me on. Uh, Twitter or X, uh, LinkedIn, and you can also find my website at digital-zen.com. Thank you, everyone. All right, ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you for tuning into the show. We'll be back next week with the same time uh, and the same place with a guest sharing their wonderful journeys into the Web3 space. Uh, we, on Remember, once again, on Tuesdays, we have our show, The Future of NFTs, which focuses, of course, on NFT technologies, hosted by our co-founder, Natia Besta. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, have a good one. Cheers. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Diving Into Crypto, proudly hosted by Adlunum, the first engaged-to-earn platform with a proof-of-attention model and dynamic NFT investor profiles.